This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. When I get married, when I have kids, when I get that job I've always wanted, then I'll be happy. Well, maybe, but maybe not. If not, it could be because you're focusing your attention on the wrong things. Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky is the author of The Myths of Happiness, What Should Make You Happy But Doesn't, What Shouldn't Make You Happy But Does, and she'll tell us, coming up. Plus, it's wedding season, and many of the brides and grooms will be Zoomers, some on their second, third, or even fourth marriages. We've told you about gray divorce. Well, today it's time for the other side of that coin. It's a subject Kim Itzo tackled in the current issue of Zoomer magazine. She'll join me a little later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Retirement may be bad for your health. A new study out of the UK suggests that while it may provide an initial sense of relief and well-being over the long term, Retirement increases the likelihood of developing depression and at least one physical illness. Study author Gabriel Salgren looked at more than 7,000 people between the ages of 50 and 70. He found that retirement had a consistent negative impact on health that worsens as the number of years spent in retirement increases. Compared to older people who were still working, Salgren found retirees were 40% less likely to assess their own health as very good or excellent, 40% more likely to suffer from depression, and 60% more likely to have at least one physical condition. This week, we said goodbye to Peter Worthington, the founding editor of the Toronto Sun. He was one of a group of journalists from the defunct Toronto Telegram who started the tabloid in 1971. A veteran of both the Second World War and the Korean War, Worthington became a foreign correspondent for the telegram covering conflicts in Vietnam and the Gaza Strip. He was also an eyewitness to the murder of Kennedy assassin Lee Harvey Oswald by Jack Ruby. Worthington was admitted to hospital last week with a serious infection, and he died peacefully last Sunday. Peter Worthington was 86. Here's a reason to be thankful for our health care system. If you were to add up all your doctor visits, tests, surgeries, and hospital stays over the years, a new study suggests you would consume about $220,000 in health care over your lifetime. According to an analysis from the Canadian Institute for Health Information, spending is fairly consistent across income groups. People in the lowest income group have $237,000 in lifetime health costs, compared with $206,000 for the highest income group. The calculations also suggest having publicly funded health care is the equivalent to an 18% boost in income for the poorest citizens, a nearly 5% income loss for the wealthiest, and pretty well a wash for middle-income Canadians. 
You might not be thinking about your winter getaway this time of year, but Canadian snowbirds should pay attention to this news. A bill is winding its way through the U.S. Congress, which would allow Canadians to spend two more months each year in the state of their choice. If the bill is passed, Canadians aged 55 and older would be allowed to spend up to 240 days, that's about eight months, in the U.S. without a visa. The current annual limit is 182 days or six months. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Do you have a clear idea about what makes you happy? Is it major milestones like marriage, career success, and wealth? And would failure make you miserable? Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky is a University of California psychology professor and an expert on the science of happiness. I reached her at her home to talk about her latest book, The Myths of Happiness. There's really two categories of myths about happiness, and the first one has to do with what people think will make them happy. Um, the idea here is that a lot of people think, well, I'm not happy now or not so happy, but, but I will be happy when you know, X, Y, and Z happen, you know, when I get married, when I have kids, when I get that job I've always wanted, when I move to that house in that city I've always wanted to live in, um, then I'll be happy. Um, and the problem with that myth is that those things do make us happy, but they don't make us happy for as long or as intensely as we think they will. And so we do get happier when we move to a new job or get married, um, but the happiness doesn't last forever. We end up sort of returning to our baseline. So we have to sort of understand that that's a natural phenomenon, that if we're not as thrilled today as we were, you know, months ago with our new job or our new house, um, then that's just totally normal. The other category has to do with what people think will make them unhappy forever. And so, um, you know, not having as much money as we want, being single, being ill, getting older, we think these things will make us unhappy, but actually they don't. People don't stay miserable for very long. We're very, very resilient. So again, it's very important for people to understand sort of what the research has to say about uh, how these life transitions affect people's happiness. You say in your book that negative things have a much bigger imprint on it on us and last a lot longer than positive things. That's right. We have to sort of really understand that and, and recognize it. And so, you know, when good things happen to us, like when we get a raise in salary, that, you know, we will eventually and probably pretty quickly adapt to that and then then, then we suddenly want more salary and even higher salary. Uh, when it comes to negative things, we adapt a lot slower, but it doesn't mean that we don't adapt. People are sort of remarkable at, at adapting to even negative things. It just takes a lot longer than to positive things. You know, really what makes us happy is our sort of the positive emotions day to day. It's not like how much money we have in the bank. Maybe you, you got an unexpected phone call from an old friend. And so if we can increase those positive experiences, positive emotions on a day-to-day basis, that's going to affect our happiness, I think, more than kind of the big things in life. You were talking about one of the things that makes us most unhappy is when we compare ourselves to other people. Yeah, that's right. And actually, at the beginning of my career, I did quite a bit of research on, on what's called social comparison, right? comparing ourselves to other people. That's something that we all do. We can't help it. Well, it turns out that people who, are, who tend to be unhappy are much more likely to compare themselves with others. I'd like to talk a little bit about that very interesting experiment with the puppets. You told people to uh, mm-hmm. tell a little story with puppets. And um, why don't you pick it up from there? Sure, Some were sure. told. Okay, go ahead. 
the key part of the study is that we gave them feedback about their performance. And so some people were told, uh, you did really great in this, in this sort of oral presentation. You got a six on a seven-point scale. But then they also learned that another subject that participated in the experiment at the same time, um, they got a seven. And then in another condition, we told people that they did really badly um, on, the, on the oral presentation. They got a two on a scale of uh, one to seven. But they also happened to sort of learn that the, the other participant got a one, so they did even worse. People who tend to be unhappy, they actually felt better when they got a two, but the other person got a one. You know, it's like at least they outperformed someone than when they got a six, uh, but the other person got a seven. So they said they'd rather do worse. Uh, as long as someone else does even worse than them. People who are happy in our study, the relatively happy participants, they didn't show this pattern at all. The first lesson is to sort of learn about it, and that's, that's sort of why I wrote the book, is sort of to learn that this is, this is a phenomenon that, that you might be experiencing. Once you recognize that that's what you're doing, then you can try to compare yourself less. And that's really hard to do if it's an ingrained habit. Um, one strategy that I advise is to kind of recognize every time you find yourself comparing to others and, and to really kind of stop yourself. I mean, I, I know people who put a rubber band on their wrist and they kind of snap the rubber band every time they, they make them a social comparison, you know, but this may be kind of weird or extreme, but you can kind of do, you know, create your own technique. Every time you recognize yourself comparing, distract, do something else, think about something else, stop doing that. The Myths of Happiness is published by Penguin Press. In the weeks ahead, we'll hear more from Dr. Lubomirsky on how happiness is affected by major life events like illness and romance. In the meantime... Love and marriage, love and marriage... You know the old song about love and marriage? Well, it applies to Zoomers, too. Coming up, we'll talk to Zoomer magazine deputy editor Kim Itzo about serial spouses. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. The summer wedding season is just around the corner, and it's not just for young people building households and starting families. Zoomers may have started out as the free love generation, but they're marrying in ever-increasing numbers for the second, third, or even fifth time. It's the subject of the June issue of Zoomer magazine, and deputy editor Kim Itzo joins me now. I think there is a whole trend about getting married again and again. I mean, it's not new, obviously. You look at our June cover with uh, Elizabeth Taylor, the most famously married woman in the world for being eight marriages, twice the same man. But I do think Zoomers are, instead of just living together, are getting married more. I think it's what they're used to. At a certain age, I think marriage is what they are comfortable with. It's what they think is socially acceptable. But they're doing it differently. It's very interesting. You know, I, we have a number of friends who've been together for years. You know, divorced people live together. And they're thinking about marriage. I think marriage is having a, a resurgence in terms of it being a romantic thing to do again. Uh, I'm not quite sure why that is, but I think people are thinking, oh, you know, I want to make the commitment. And I think also later in your life, you know, you're thinking, well, this is the person that I want to be with the rest of my life. And you do know. I know one of the women who I interviewed had been married three times. And she said the first time she had no idea what she wanted. 
second time her husband passed away. And the third time she goes, you know, she was uh, 71 when she got married for the third time. 71. 71. Why not? Well, it, it's interesting, though. I also know people who don't get married because by the time they get to that point, there are children and ex-spouses and, and it can be a little complicated financially and legally. Yeah, I think it can be uh, financially complicated. I know uh, a man I interviewed who was married five times. <laughs> okay. I and hope he's rich. Yes, yes. Well, this is just it, you know, and there's different kids from different unions. And he said, you know, divorce gives marriage a bad rap uh, because, you know, it can be really, it can go horribly wrong. And he, he was lucky in his case that he what, called, I guess you made good good divorces, uh, except for in one case. And uh, But it didn't stop him. You know, he liked the idea. It, it was a natural progression of a relationship, you know, the courtship, the, um, the falling in love, the engagement, and then getting married. And that, to him, was the way it was going to go, you know. It's interesting. Uh, I recently interviewed Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky with a new book called The Myths of Happiness. Mm-hmm. And she talks about people who get married serially, and she's saying, well, maybe these people, and it sort of has a ring of truth for Zoomers, boomers, they don't understand that love evolves, and and you can't keep that high of being madly in love, and so they keep divorcing and finding new people. Exactly. I think people can be in love with the idea of being in love. Though I think, I don't know, you know, I have to say that I think when people, the people that I spoke with, they were older. They were all over 60. I think their idea and expectations are different, though, than someone who's maybe 35 getting married for the third time. You know, I think they weren't looking necessarily for that rush of passionate love. I mean, they wanted that, too. Everyone does. But they also really, you know, that whole that cliche, the companionship was important to them. Someone just to be social with and do social things together. I know one woman said, you know, the stigma of the uh, single older woman was hard. She said people didn't invite her out anymore. So, uh, you know, she wanted to have that social life. So I think uh, people get married for different reasons at different ages. And uh, the weddings, how are they different? Uh, they're often becoming more intimate affairs than maybe their first marriage was. You know, often what I heard when I was doing the story is that Zoomers, you know, the first time they got married when they were in their 20s, you know, the parents were really involved. They sort of did what was ever socially acceptable. Now they're doing whatever they want. For one thing, it's their money. For another, they know what they want. Their ceremonies are often smaller, and they like to involve the children if they have kids. But I did interview a man who was married for the fifth time, and his fifth wedding was the biggest of all of them. They just decided to go for broke, and why not? It had this big, splashy thing, but his, you know, all of his, I think his three sons were ushers, and her daughters were the bridesmaids. It made it a whole big family affair. Mm-hmm. I guess, and if you had a, a, a hippie wedding on the beach in the 70s, maybe you want to do the trad church thing now. Exactly. You know, I think that's the case. It's, it's anything goes. I think, you know, uh, with, with weddings of anybody's age, but I think certainly when you're older, you do know what you want, and that's what I get being told. We know what we want. And uh, a lot of older Zoomer brides, they, they want to get married in white. They, there's nothing wrong with getting married in white. I think, we, I think women have taken that back and this idea that virginal bride doesn't mean anything anymore uh, for so many reasons. I think, uh, yeah, you can wear whatever you want. I think what people are doing less of, they'll still wear white, but they're less so marrying in the big meringue dress, the princess dress, maybe less so. But the color, the hue, anything goes. For this demographic, I think certainly you can get anything from a pantsuit to sleeves. Obviously, a lot of women are concerned about their arms at, at certain ages. And so sleeves, which, of course, Kate Middleton made hugely popular a couple of years ago. And she's only, you know, was only 29. I'm sure her arms are fine. Yes, yes. <laughs> anything you uh, want to add to all this about the Zoomer wedding? 
talking to people who got married over and over again, it sort of gave me uh, hope that, you know, it's not such a it's, a, it's a lovely thing to do, get married. So there's still hope out there. There's still a lot of people out there who believe in the institution. It was just actually kind of sweet. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap it up. Kimmy, so thanks so much. You can read Kim's piece on Zoomer Weddings in the June issue of Zoomer Magazine, where you'll also find a great spread showcasing some of the hottest styles for Zoomer brides. I'm Libby Zimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. I don't mind the guys dancing with my Pete Townsend, the guitarist and songwriter for The Who, is celebrating his 68th birthday today. In just a moment, we'll celebrate with a hit that's being revived this summer. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Murder Ballad is a musical by Juliana Nash and Julia Jordan. We wrote a murder ballad, which is a song that tells the story of a murder. And it's um, basically it is a love triangle that's gone horribly, horribly wrong. The fun of it is who is the killer and who is the victim, because any one of the three could be either. Murder Ballad co-stars Casey Levy of Hamilton, Ontario. It's in previews at Union Square Theatre on East 17th Street. To Chicago, where a new exhibit examines many of the defining artists and themes in conceptual photography over the last four decades. Think First, Shoot Later is at the Museum of Contemporary Art. In London, English-Canadian actress Kim Cattrall co-stars alongside Seth Numerick in Sweet Bird of Youth. Cattrall plays a fading Hollywood legend in this Tennessee Williams classic, which is on stage at the Old Vic. And in Paris, an iconic fragrance has inspired a new exhibit. Number five, Culture Chanel, tries to convey how influential artists and actors led to the creation of the most famous perfume in the world, Chanel Number no. 5. It's at the Palais de Tokyo. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. Every day I- British rocker Pete Townsend is celebrating his 68th birthday, and he was in Ontario this week to preview a very special Canadian birthday present of sorts, the Stratford Festival's revival of his rock opera, Tommy. Townsend, lead guitarist and songwriter for the influential rock troupe The Who, already had a host of hit songs by the time he created Tommy. They include I Can't Explain, Magic Bus, Substitute, I Can See for Miles and Miles, and of course, Pinball Wizard. Though decades have passed since his childhood in London, he said watching the Stratford Festival's revamp of Tommy stirs up difficult memories from his working-class post-war upbringing. So here is Pinball Wizard. Ever since I was a young boy,
That was The Who with Pinball Wizard. Today marks Pete Townsend's 68th birthday. Stratford will present a revival of Tommy this season. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you for joining me today. Have a great long weekend and come back next week when we talk to Conrad Black about his new book, Flight of the Eagle. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Van Driel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.